0: This is Channel 253.
1: In this episode of Interchangeable White
0: Ladies. Mm -hmm. See, there's this new term. Everybody's just jumped on board, (laughs) you know, and I have to tell you, I hate it. (laughs) I absolutely hate the term BIPOC.
1: Channel 253 is a member-supported podcast network. I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I'm asking you to become a member and show your support. Go to channel253.com slash membership to join. Thank you. One, two, two, interchangeable. White ladies. One, two, two, interchangeable. White ladies. Interchangeable. Interchangeable. White ladies. Welcome to the Interchangeable White Ladies
2: podcast. I'm Hope. I'm Megan. So today's essential question is: How has the work of diversity, equity, and inclusion changed over time, and why is this something organizations are still getting wrong in 2020?
1: We are super excited to have on our show today our guest, Tanisha Lyons. She is a community advocate, founder, and executive director of Tanisha Cares, LLC, whose mission is to empower people and businesses through consulting, resources, advocacy, and diversity, equity, and inclusion, or DEI training, for those of you that know what that means. We are so excited to have you on the show. Thank you for joining us today.
0: Thank you for having me. This is really Uh,
1: I was super excited when I saw that you were also a greener, so I went to everyone as well for my master's in teaching. Go GUIDEX, all the greeners listening to this show. Um, so I, we just wanted to start simply with framing the conversation. Is there anything that you feel like listeners need to know about you or your background that kind of helps shape the conversation today?
0: Sure. Um, my background um, is kind of unique. So 10 years, um, I stayed home. I was, I'm a cancer survivor, which is why my colors are pink, just as a way to honor my journey. And um, so I was at home 10 years within the school system, raising two teenage daughters, and I realized that their needs as two Black girls were not being met. Mm -hmm. And so there were so many unnecessary challenges because of the fact that there was not enough diversity within their schools. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: so um, upon doing research, and I found that there's a a, a education gap, a 50-year education gap. Mm -hmm. So, um, excuse me, not a 50-year education gap. There's an education gap that has been in place for over 50 years. Mm -hmm. And that's a problem, an -hmm. achievement gap. So um, trying to find ways that I could be a voice for the students who, um, need someone to advocate for them to -hmm. be able to, you know, find a place within the school system. No child should just go through, go to school and go through the motions that uh, your adolescent years and your um, teenage years should be the best years of your life. And so having to navigate through implicit bias and, um, the lack of diversity and the lack of um, inclusion and the lack of equity should not be something that a child should have to experience in, the, in their um, school building. Mm-hmm. So um, that's why I decided to run for the school board to bring that voice to the table because um, the school board in Lakewood is all white. So when you have an all white school board, <laughs> you have uh, you have blind spots. I mean, it, it, it is what it is. And so Mm -hmm. Uh everybody's needs are not being met. And so until you have a voice in there to say, hey, our culture matters, you're talking Mm -hmm. about cultural imperialism in the school board, right? Because, Mm -hmm. and even in the schools, because there's nobody who really represents them. So um, understanding what that means and um, understanding that, you know, it's it's almost like you hear this, you hear the saying, black lives matter, well, all lives matter. Well, yes, all lives matter. But what about the black ones? You know? Mm-hmm. So um, if everything represents, you know, white children in a in a colonized society and in a colonized education, and mm-hmm. there's no representation of black children, how can you tell me that I belong?
1: Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm I'm really um, just nodding and amening over here, um, along with what you're saying. I, I think about, so I worked at Clover Park Schools for five years, and I think about part of my application process was we had to do a, like an implicit bias test, cultural competency test that they did over the phone. I don't know if, if CP is still doing that with their staff, but I found it, you know, at first I was really excited because I thought, okay, this is one step towards the things you're talking about, right, towards creating... Uh, making sure that teachers are coming in with some kind of level of, of cultural competency um, or cultural responsiveness to, stu- you know, the diverse population is in CP school district. Um, and then when I got a job there, I was not shocked by it because it is how it is. Right. But I, I was just struck by the dis the dissonance, right. Like the disconnect between that and particularly in leadership. Um, right. So much <laughs> this, the school board. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I was so excited to see that you had run um, and especially in that position, because Paul is uh, quite an institution out
0: there. <laughs> um, oh yeah, yeah. And so and and that's the thing is that you know, I think people thought that I was running to change everything. No, mm-hmm. I don't want to change anything. I want to add to it. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's good things that are happening within the district. They did hire a racial equity officer. His name is Toyman. Yeah. And he is phenomenal. Um, Ron Banner is doing what he can to try to make, you know, things better, but there's still a long way to go and there's still Mm -hmm. a lot of work to be done. And Mm -hmm. so um, just understanding, I think that our community has been the way it's been for so long that it's almost like, you know, you have Trump in the White House and, you know, and all this fear base where they're coming to take over. No, nobody wants to take over because if that was the case, you know, slavery is a good indication that, you know, we we still loved white babies even when we were being beaten, you know? So, I mean... (laughs) The idea that people are coming to take something. No, nobody wants to take anything. We just want to be able to have the same equal footing that everybody else has. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. same love, the same care, the same mm-hmm. consideration, the same, you know, everything. And unless you learn me, you're not going to be able to do it. You, you just mm-hmm. can't. Mm-hmm. I can't love you and I don't know who you are. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so um, it's just... It's challenging. Mm-hmm. It's really challenging. And so, oh, and so that's why I went back and mm-hmm. uh, I went back to school. Mm-hmm. And um, at first I just kind of wanted to do human services. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, yeah, human services is great. And I love human services. I just yeah. love people. So then I started going to Evergreen and I went to the Tacoma campus. Mm-hmm. And when I tell you The Sankofa staff there, it it was like going home. It was really like going home, having black women doctorate, Mm -hmm. you know, level professors who care for you holistically, Mm -hmm. you know, not just about your education, Mm -hmm. but how are you doing? You know, how is your day going? Is there anything I can help you with? Guess what? I cook dinner down in the kitchen, going down there and get you something to eat. Did you eat today? You know, that kind of thing is, I think, is what was unique about my experience. And then so then I started really learning about social justice, right? And what that means. And not just for black people, but for poor people and mm-hmm. for, you know, Hispanic immigrants and, you know, all of that even with the environment i mean you know the the effects of the environment on poor people uh-huh. and specifically black people uh-huh. you know so those are things that are often left out left out of the conversation you know we talk about the poor but let's talk about the the generational wealth gap right. you know 200 okay. years it'll take 200 years if we stop building wealth today mm-hmm. to catch up to our white counterparts mm-hmm. You know, so let's have those conversations. Mm-hmm. How can we fix it? Mm-hmm. Huh. You know, there's no way that Amazon should be making billions of dollars and they have people working for them who can afford food, who, who, who are eligible for food stamps. Right. A yeah. lot of Walmart's yeah. customers are receiving social justice, I mean, social justice, human service, yeah. you know, um, mm-hmm. social services. So why is that? I, I think that one
2: of, th- speaking of Amazon and Jeff Bezos, I was just reading a statistic yesterday that said that Jeff Bezos could donate $105,000 to every single one of his employees in Amazon and be just as wealthy as he was at the start of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Or, That's how, that is how much money, that yeah. is how much wealth Jeff Bezos has accumulated since March, Mm-hmm. He could donate $105,000 to every single employee of Amazon and be just as rich as he was at the start. And I think that people have to begin to conceptualize that, mm-hmm. right? Like that—that that is significant. And that has been mm-hmm. happening far longer than, you know, than the pandemic. And that has been disproportionately right. impacting people of color for far longer for generations in this country. And it's, it's not some small thing when we talk about the wealth gap. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that people are hopefully, I hope that people are beginning to realize that, educate themselves about it. Um, but that was just like a statistic. I like, I had like literally, I also gasped when I read it. I was like, oh my gosh. Like, that's, but,
0: yeah. I mean, but think about what that really means though. Mm-hmm. We have an eviction moratorium right. because people cannot keep a roof over their head. hmm so, yeah. you know, you, you you talk about the pedagogy of the poor, right? Mm-hmm. And so you're looking at even with the uh, with the eviction moratorium, what does that mean? What what that means is that there's going to be an influx of people mm-hmm. who are going to be homeless, yeah. who are going to be hitting the system in every way possible because they don't have a choice. Mm-hmm. So that means. Human services, social services, the criminal justice, um, I mean, housing, food surplus, all of those things are going to be hit and they're going to be hit all at once. Uh Are we ready? Is Washington state ready? I don't think so. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean for the people who are going to be leaving their homes? That means they're going to be survival crimes. So that means we're going to be now looking at how, you know, Mm -hmm. the police are, you know, are um, the uh, criminal justice people are, um, you know, interacting with the community. Mm -hmm. You're going to look at mental health services. What does that mean? They oppose the mental health tax in Pierce County. So guess what? There's not really a lot of money going towards mental health. Mm -hmm. People are stressed to the max
2: mm-hmm. i mean add on meaning right like add on the isolation yes. and i think what people also don't realize is that when it's like there's a trickle down effect in terms of all of this right yes. like right where you're saying people are not going to have homes and you know, it's not necessarily that the middle and upper class people are going to be homeless. It's that they will be priced out of being able to afford their middle to upper class neighborhoods. Where are they going to have to go? They're going to have to go to more affordable housing and they're going to have to be like, right. And so they're going to be taking up that housing and the people that live in low income neighborhoods are going to be homeless, right? Like all of a sudden there's no place for them to go. There's no affordable housing for them to rent and they mm-hmm. are going to be on the streets. And it's, I, I think that people don't realize that it, it, it's that they the housing is a commodity and it's limited. Mm-hmm. And so if, if people can't afford to live at the level that they were living at, they have to look for something more affordable. And mm-hmm. oftentimes the people that are left out are like the low income people, disproportionately people of color and, um, I, yeah, I agree. I don't think Washington state is I don't think Washington state's ready for it. I don't think the country's ready for it.
0: No. And, and that's the thing. Two years ago, it was about market rate housing and the median income and exactly. finding, you know, the the amount of people who were losing their homes because of gentrification mm-hmm. and going, you know, the amount of homeless people just in my community in Pierce County, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. so now you're looking at Seattle, you're looking at Pierce County, you're looking at, you know, Thurston County is going to also get an influx of people now, Um I don't know. I don't know what the, what the plan is.
2: So I got my bachelor's degree in human services um, from Western and worked with the homeless population for quite a while up there. And I think what people don't realize is um, a large portion of the homeless population are homeless because of like a utility bill. Like that, right. that's the tipping point. It is not right. and I, like, it's not some like huge addiction to drugs. It's not, right. it, it, and I think that we love right. to paint the homeless population as, well, it's, it's a character flaw, which is why they're homeless. And well, that's the narrative, right? Why, that's like, the narrative theory. that we need to like, in order to deal with the dissonance that we're feeling, it's like the narrative we spin about people that are homeless or that it's a character flaw. And we can feel compassion about a character flaw. It's not that all, it's not that all people are like, hate the homeless, Mm -hmm. because you can feel compassionate about a character flaw. I don't think that we have um, come to a reckoning about the fact that many people in this country are just a utility bill or a couple utility bills away from being homeless. And because that's truly what it is, it's that they have had to make the decision for so many months in a row of whether Mm -hmm. they're going to pay for their electricity or pay their rent. Uh-huh. And we have built a middle class based off of this foundation of families living paycheck to paycheck. And when you feel, live paycheck to paycheck, and a pan, global pandemic hits, what are you supposed to do, right? And so I think that right now families have been able to juggle the debt collectors. They've been able to juggle utility bills. They've been able to figure it out. But really, like the 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 friction is okay, but that doesn't last forever. And any, anybody that has experienced homelessness can tell you like when it ends, it ends and you don't have any more options. And so I think that with the pandemic, like thinking about that as well, right? Like it's not a character flaw that causes homelessness, right? It is, is it, it is an inability to make a living wage. It's an inability to pay for your water and your electricity for so long that you know, you're
0: then evicted. Yeah. And, you know, my mom calls it Robin Peter to pay Paul. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you're literally, that's what you're doing. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, okay, I'll pay a little bit over here this month, and then I'll pay a little bit over here next month. And then, you know, eventually a little bit over here runs out. So you got to, mm-hmm. you know, try to figure out who you're going to pay and, you know, and, the reality is, is that even with when you even talk about addiction and homelessness, a lot of people don't realize that when people become addicted is when they become when homeless. they become homeless and when they experience homelessness, then they start developing you know, yep. addiction. problems.
2: And then or yeah. where you're what I saw frequently, I worked with homeless youth was that mental health issues that would Mm. not have manifested in the way that they manifested come to the surface in very extreme ways because of the trauma and the stress Mm -hmm. of being homeless. Right. Right. It's like we, because that's the other thing is like, Oh, it's mental. It's a mental health thing. It's a mental health thing, but actually it's the homelessness that occurs that then exacerbates like the mental illness. And it it exacerbates the, 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 because of the pure trauma of it all. Mm -hmm. Um, that yeah, the homelessness oftentimes comes first, and then there are the um, the manifestation of that homelessness that perpetuates it and makes it really it right. makes it more and more challenging the longer somebody experiences it
1: to get themselves out of it.
0: No. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was just going to
1: ask you do some work. You work with Pierce County continuum of care, right? Which directly yes. relates to this, uh-huh. uh, to this topic. Yes. I'm working with homeless population in Pierce County. Um, I'm curious if there are things that you've seen in that work, like have there been some changes that really strike you in the last couple of years? I'm curious, under as we talk about under the Trump administration, what does that look like? Um, what does it look like now in the midst of COVID?
0: I think that what I'm seeing now is there's a, there's an alarm going off right and people are starting to realize that there are populations who we have not been serving and so when you start talking about the disproportionate amount of people in the system who number one are experiencing redlining as much as you know mm-hmm. you take the laws away and you know redlining still exists right mm-hmm. and so now you have that you have people who are homeless You have a wealth gap, so there's no income really coming in. Mm -hmm. And then you look at mental health issues. You present to the hospital and you're not taken seriously simply because of the color of your skin. Mm -hmm. And you have those issues. Then you show up in social services and social services. You know, the attitude sometimes is, um, well, we can help you, but what are you going to do to help yourself? And it's like, hello. Hello. (laughs) I'm helpless at this point because of the fact that I need somebody to open it to open a door so that I can be able to help myself right Mm -hmm. so trying to get through those barriers you know and I don't want to paint the picture that people are helpless people are not helpless but when you have a situation where you need help for somebody to remove a barrier for you we're talking about equity right right to be able to get the services that you need so that you can help yourself you know and a lot of times trying to navigate through those barriers can be just as cumbersome as trying Mm -hmm. to you know get the service Mm -hmm. so um i'll never forget um like i told you i spent 10 years at home and so i went to um sign up for food stamps and so, when I went to sign up for food stamps, now, mind you, per, prior to this, I used to do um, DV advocacy um, mm-hmm. with uh, DSHS. I was contracted um, by DSHS to do DV advocacy. And so, I worked in the office, right? Mm-hmm. So, I went to sign up for food stamps. Now, I'm not behind the desk, but I'm on the other side of the desk. So, the attitude was, was Why do you need food stamps? And I said, Wait a minute. I said, Ma'am. <laughs> Um, I said, you do understand. I said that I'm here because I need help. Not because I'm stupid, not mm-hmm. because I'm uneducated, not because I'm lazy, but because I need help. And your attitude that you are displaying right now is saying that you are better than me. But I want you to understand that at one point I was on the other side of the desk where you are. And just like I'm standing on this side, you don't know what your future is going to hold for you. You could be standing on this side as as well. And you would hope that when you stand in front of this desk, that somebody will be kind and will understand that not everybody has chosen the the life that they're living. And sometimes it's just given to you and you have to work Mm -hmm. with what you have. Mm -hmm. So, you know. Um, So then, of course, you know, the attitude changes, but everybody's not able to advocate for themselves in that way. Uh So then you talk about discouragement. So then you leave because you don't think you're going to get the help that you need to get anyway. So you stop showing up, you know? So the question is, is when dealing with homelessness, what are we seeing? We're seeing people not showing up for services. Uh We're seeing that, you know, there's a disproportionate amount of people who need services who aren't accessing it. Uh And the question is, is why? Well, because we go into these agencies and you see, I, did a, I do a, um, a training. And in one of my trainings, I, we talk about cultural imperialism mm-hmm. and what does that look like for the clients that you serve? What are you presenting to the clients that you serve? Mm-hmm. So, you know, with cultural imperialism, it's saying that I'm better than you and yeah. that I'm here and you're over there. And come on in and get these services because, you know, we need this funding so that we can continue to serve you. But are we really serving you?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: You know, so.
1: Yeah. I'm wondering if you, since you brought up your trainings, i wonder if you could talk a little bit more about the kind of trainings that you offer and the kind of work that you're doing with Tanisha Cares.
0: Okay. Well, with Tanisha Cares, I do advocacy work. Um, I advocate for a lot of times for parents who have students who, um, have challenges within the school district. Mm -hmm. And so um, I go in and I talk to the staff and I talk to sometimes their counselors or whoever to try to find the mediation to get the student what they need. Um, I do business consulting. I do um, particularly new businesses. Mm -hmm. Um, I like to help people brainstorm to find ways to uh, create their passion and make it um, something that is um, sustainable. Mm-hmm. And um, I do some policy work where I can. I go into businesses and I look at their policies, and we help determine um, how culturally competent they are yeah. and how. Um, how diverse is their agency we look at cultural imperialism Mm -hmm. um, what do your clients see when they walk through the door Mm -hmm. kind of thing Um, I do DEI trainings which with a focus on implicit bias cultural competence and um, we talk about um, just ourselves um, creating awareness for ourselves and what that looks like and it's so funny it's it's fun to do those trainings because a lot of times people say, you know what, I'm so woke. That's the word, right? (laughs) I'm so woke. I'm, you know, I have, have, you know, understandings of different cultures and then we do these exercises and they're like, Whoa, I didn't realize this, you know? And Mm -hmm. we, we thought we were, you know, meeting the needs of our clients, but look, we have an area over here that we really need to work on. And I find that a lot you know and a lot of times it's because there's blind spots within their agencies and you walk through the door every day you get used to things you know Mm -hmm. being the way that they are and sometimes you need that eye to come Mm -hmm. in and help you identify areas that need more work yeah so so, much
1: so much of the time you need that eye I feel like you know it's just like the moment you think that you've arrived at some state of wokeness or whatever you want to call it it's like the moment you're going to miss something, right? I mean, we can yeah. be so. We talk a lot on the show, like you can be, you know, forward thinking in some ways, or really conscious in in one area, and then have a complete, like, yeah, bias against another area you never even realized it right. was on your radar, or like right. of the complete positionality, right?
2: Yeah, or oh, yeah, complacency, complacency, right? Like people read, yeah. right? They feel like they've read, yeah. they've read a book, right? <laughs> They've read yeah. like, white fragility or how to be an anti-racist. <laughs> and then they're like, I'm done. I've arrived. And it's like, actually, yeah. no, like you're only doing the work if you continue to do it, if you continue to ask yourself the hard questions and mm-hmm. uh, yeah. the complacency of the woke Pacific Northwest is yeah. sometimes staggering to me, which I'm sure for you as well. You see yeah. it at work all the time.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and the, and the thing is, is that I'm a teacher at heart. I love teaching and I like to see the light bulbs when they go off and it's like, Oh, I didn't know that. You know, that's like a high for me. Right. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) being able to be in those spaces and, you know, and to be able to facilitate, you know, a change in perspective and a change of mind or a change of heart, I think is really, it's a powerful place to be. And I don't take it for granted at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think, um, oh, and the other thing is, is talking about BIPOC. Mm -hmm. See, there's this new term. Everybody's just jumped on board, you know, and I have to tell you, I hate it. (laughs) I absolutely hate the term BIPOC. Speak your truth. And, <laughs> and the reason we the reason being
1: is because. Wait, can we pause you? Can we take a quick break and then people will come right back and yes. then we can hear this because yes, okay. yes. that's a good teaser. <laughs> <laughs> this episode is sponsored by Pacific Lutheran University. Your student can go to college just about anywhere in the world, but have you thought about the school just down the street? When it comes to their undergraduate programs, PLU is a triple threat. First, PLU has a great liberal arts program that will expand young minds and helps them thrive no matter where they go after leaving our campus. Second, PLU is part of the Tacoma and South Sound community, passing on the values of civic engagement to the next generation. And finally, PLU has programs that will prepare students for some of the most important and high-demand careers post-graduation. Liberal arts, civic engagement, and professional studies, a triple threat that will help your student thrive. To learn more, visit plu.edu slash admission. Uh, Welcome back, everybody.
2: So Tanisha was just about to tell us why she hates that term, that new term, that new buzzword, BIPOC. So explain to the listeners, what what is it about that, that that rubs you the wrong way?
0: BIPOC. So BIPOC, for those who don't know, is Black, Indigenous, and people of color. But the problem is, is when people use that term, it's in a state of clumping. So when you provide a service and you say, That this is for the BIPOC community. But the problem is, is that Black people, Indigenous people, and people of color, who we often want to call other, which I also can't stand that, because they're another culture that we're just pushing off to the side. Um, We don't all have the same needs. The Indigenous people have different needs than Black people. And people of color who would be considered Pacific Islanders, Asian, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't know what else. Everybody else, you know, (laughs) Uh you know, we all have unique needs. And so when you start talking about BIPOC, you're talking about service needs, right? Mm -hmm. Then you're talking about, again, cultural imperialism, colonization, because now you're identifying who I am. Instead of asking me who I am. Mm-hmm. And then you're also looking at um, culture, you're taking away the the cultural competence that you need to handle me, to work with me. I don't wanna say handle, handle's a forward, <laughs> to work with me. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, so BIPOC is not the term to use. We should be listing out who we're trying to help. Mm -hmm. We should be listing out who we're reaching out to. And if it takes if it takes up a whole line on your paper, so be it. And I think, yeah,
2: that's That's fascinating, right? It's like, and and honestly like, right, normalize admitting fault, right? Like I have begun to Mm -hmm. use that term, right? And as you're talking, I'm thinking like, oh, that term feels now that it was coined in order like for white convenience. Mm-hmm. Right. Like during this, like Black Lives Matter, um after George Floyd and everything that's happened and where you kind of have seen the beginnings of a reckoning in society, it that's when BIPOC began to be used on the mm-hmm. my campaign scale, right? Right. But it's it was it is a convenience for white people and it's like, but actually does that matter? Does it matter whether it's like convenient to be able to say it or should we be like honoring it? And I love how you said the clumping, right? Like it is a state of clumping and it's a pass for white people to be able to have a conversation about these communities as though it, they're all the same and they all need mm. the same thing and they all want the same thing. Right. And it's they. I, um, I'm going to be sitting with this, <laughs>
3: like, in
2: yeah. reflecting, mm-hmm. this. yeah, <laughs> it's, it is such a valid point.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah, and I think, too, is that even with Indigenous people, right, you have some people, um, some Indigenous tribes who are living as third world countries, mm-hmm. their needs are so different than my needs, right, mm-hmm. and then my needs are not the same as their needs, yeah. So when we do clump them together, then we we miss an opportunity mm-hmm. to be where to be what we need to be for those communities. And I think that's important. And also thinking
2: about diversity. Right. Like you right. talked about um, the gaps in an organization. And I think that oftentimes, especially when you clump, an organization can say, "Oh, we have two members from the BIPOC community," mm-hmm. as though it's one community, and right. think and think that they have representation in their organization. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have representation from all of these different communities, you're not going to be filling the gaps of how are your services being provided to an indigenous indigenous person versus. Um, you know, a, a Vietnamese mm-hmm. refugee versus, right? right. Like it's just, there's so many different cultures. And I, I think that that's really a danger, right? That by mm-hmm. clumping, all of a sudden, it's giving a pass to an organization that it's like, oh, we have two people of color on our board. We're done. Mm-hmm. Even though it's like only, potentially only one culture or community is being represented by
1: those people of color.
2: And there's right. still all of these gaps um in their organization.
1: Well, we see this in schools yeah. all the time. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously you've done the work much longer. I've, I've been teaching for 15 years and just I'm thinking about that small amount of time, right? This mm-hmm. is just in... Like infrastructurally in our systems, right? The, the like as you're saying, just all the systems that need to be broken and reexamined and revisited. I'm curious. At the top of this, we talked a little bit about like the idea that even in 2020, there's still so many organizations <laughs> and uh, and institutions. I guess the word I'm looking for institutions, whether it's our religious spaces or our schools that are really, really far from addressing these issues. I'm curious what you, what you think, about why is it still, what's, what's the biggest impediment? Or I I don't know if you can even narrow one.
0: (laughs) I think that status quo. Mm -hmm. And then when you talk about white supremacy, so why would I change? Yeah. Why would I, why would I need to change? Mm -hmm. I'm getting, my needs are met, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think that that's a lot of the attitude. They're coming to get what we have, Mm. you know? And so, I mean, just for instance, while I was campaigning, um, we went to the Black Parent Alliance. Um, they, They held a forum for the candidates. And so my opponent at that time was Paul Wagman. And so he comes to (laughs) he comes to um, this meeting right it's a white man in a black space okay and he he produces these flyers that he had he was so proud of these flyers and oh yeah you know the district has these flyers and we made these flyers and so he passes them around to the audience he passed them around to the audience and so one of the um, audience members, she says, um, I'm glad you're here today. She says, I used to sub in your district. And she said, and I've been meaning to come to the school board to talk about some of these, these pictures. She says, even if you look at this flyer, she says, you have, and I, I've even flagged several flyers or a flyer since then. Um, but anyway, where the children were identified from dark to the lightest white. So, okay, so you're showing that you have diversity in your district, but here's the problem, that when you presented your flyer, you presented that the poor um, achievement goals were met by children of dark colors, that's what you had represented, and then you had the children doing well all the way up to the white. So when she held up her phone, she says, here's some pictures, and she passed her phone around the audience, she says, where you have posters in your schools where children of color are identified as poor behavior. Mm -hmm. And then you have white children who are represented as the positive behavior. So then she says, she goes on and she says, and if you notice here in one of your flyers, you have children with backpacks. You have the children of color without. She says, so I understand what you're trying to do. You want to have, you know, you want to show that these are ways to behave and not behave. But think about this, the imagery that you've placed throughout your schools. Yeah. Right. Those are those are images that your children, that the children are coming in to see every day. Mm -hmm. So not only do you have children looking at these images every day who are representing because we're talking now about um, visual, um, Mm -hmm. visual uh, imaging. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, um, and where most people are visual learners. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, you're talking about visual imagery that these children are looking at every day. You're talking about, now you're looking at instances where we're talking about um, the school to prison pipeline, right? Mm -hmm. Or disproportionate um, discipline practices happen within the schools. And when you look at, when you go back and look at um, the numbers and you show that, the students who have identical behavioral issues that the child who has the darker skin has the most outrageous punishment, right? Which usually ends up with some kind of juvenile detention at some point. And then we're looking at prison, you know, justice system. It says by 21, the average black man has had some kind of justice involvement, right? Or some kind of interaction with Mm -hmm. justice involvement. Mm -hmm. That's not a good thing. Mm So what are we presenting in our schools? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. how are we how are we displaying that we care about all children? So mm-hmm. all lives matter, right? That's, that's the same. All lives matter. But yet there's the blind spot for the black kids.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I actually, because I don't ever want to campaign when I, while I was campaigning, I don't ever want to say something that's not true. Mm-hmm. And so I actually talked to our youth, our Black youth, and our youth, um, Pacific Islander youth, and, yeah. you know, just pretty much our brown kids, right? And I asked them, what is your biggest problem in your school? What What do you see as the biggest problem? And they said, all our teachers are white. Mm-hmm. Something simple as that. Yeah. All of our yeah. teachers are white. Mm-hmm. They don't understand this. Now, I had an experience. Well, I graduated from Lakes, right? I graduated in 95. So I'll never forget. We had, I had an English teacher. She was retiring that year. And sitting in the classroom, we watched a film on Asian children. And so when the film was over, she asked me, Um, Tanisha what did you think about the film I said well you know the film was nice I said but the problem is is that they depicted in this film that all Asian children are well behaved that there's no problems within the Asian culture and that's just not true so she looks at me and she says she asked my no. She asked my friend, who happened to be a white a white girl, what did you um, what did you think about the film? She said, "Oh, I thought it was great." You know, and so she looks at me and she goes, "Well, see, Tanisha, that's because you're not cultured." And so at first, I didn't really know what you know. I was like, "Well, what does that mean exactly?" So mm-hmm. I went home and I told my mom. Good for you. Mm-hmm. And my mom was hot. <laughs> 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 when you say hotter than fish grease. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, she said, yeah. <laughs> so she said, did you tell her that you are very well-traveled, that you just came from Italy? Did you tell her that? I said, no. She says, see, this woman doesn't even know you. She yeah, says, yeah. You, you know, I lived in Spain. I grew up in Italy. You know, I've been to, uh, to, to uh, France and Greece and Germany. Yeah. You know, I, I grew up a military child. Mm-hmm. So, I'm very well cultured. yeah. yeah <laughs> and not yeah. only that, grew up in a predominantly all-white school system, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. It, it, it's just interesting how that was in 1995 and the struggle is still the same.
1: Mm-hmm. Right, right. I mean, I think... <laughs> As you're talking, I think about a bunch of the teachers that I work with there, people that, I, I mean, ever, I worked in well, this is six districts. It's everywhere, right? It doesn't, it's, everywhere. it's not not unique to one district. It's because, yeah yeah it's the infrastructural issues that we have in terms of recruiting in terms in terms of making schools a place that students want to come back to students of color want to come back to exactly. making the profession making the profession desirable so if you're going to spend the time going to college and spending the money on that like do you want to come back and be part of this system that maybe you did have a good experience fine but like what does that look like in terms of the trajectory for your life and you know the kind of um, yeah, the quality of life you want to have, and wow. you know what kind of stress you want to deal with. I mean, there's just so many layers to to that um, as yeah. well that I we, I could go off on for hours, but I won't. <laughs>
2: it's like, well, it's like until we until we create schools as a space for students of color, right? Like until that happens, they're not going to see themselves as teachers and educators, right? Like until we dismantle the school system yeah. as a white supremacist system, which it is. Right? Mm -hmm. Like the school systems are a white supremacist system. Mm -hmm. Until we address that and until we make schools a space for all students, we are going to have a white teacher problem, right? Like we are going to have a predominantly white female educator working force because Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like students of color show up to school every day and are in very small and big ways told this isn't for you, this space isn't built for you, this space isn't made for you. So why, I, I just, I think that that's a part of the conversation I don't hear people talking enough about it, of like, oh, yeah. we need more teachers yeah. of color. Well, then you really need to deal with, okay, what is the school system and what is your what is your school communicating to your students of color about mm-hmm. what school is and who school is for? Because right. it makes sense to me why we don't have yeah. more teachers of color because why would you choose to go into a profession? Like it just, I don't know, if a space is every day of your life, a space that you're forced to go to by law. Right. You are forced yeah. to show up every day. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Yeah. Like the, the counterintuitiveness of yeah. that, of like, hey, yes. you have to go here, but I'm gonna subtly tell you every single day that this place isn't really for you.
3: Like Mm -hmm. I need you
2: to assimilate and I need you to figure out how to navigate it because you need to know how to play the game and this is life and like that you got to work figure out how to work the system but
0: like you can't come in with your own culture.
2: Mm-hmm. Right, You can't come
0: in with your own yep. culture. You yep. have to do things the way that I tell you to do yes. things right. and that this is my space. And now you have to come in and you have to assimilate and be yep. somebody that you're not. Yep. Mm-hmm. So then you talk about the, the traumas of code switching, right? right? And so what that means for um, Black children, what does that mean? So you mean to tell me that I can't show up with my Afro and my fullness of who I am and love me because you feel scared? Mm -hmm. And so I ask the question all the time for white teachers when we talk about implicit bias, right? A lot of people like to say, well, that's not a real thing. So then my question to you is this. As a white teacher and you're dealing with teenage boys, if you are scared of black men, and you are dealing with yes. teenage boys who are six foot four, have the bass in their voice, and they are towering over you, and they get angry because that's what teenagers do, right? Mm-hmm. There's no difference between a black teenager and a white teenager. Right. They got attitudes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we love them, but they True. have attitudes sometimes, you know. So, but what does that mean, right? right. So yeah. now, Are you intimidated and you're overreacting? Mm -hmm. And so now you have the police called because now you think that this child is going to harm you because, Mm -hmm. and I, and I use the term child because
1: that's what they are. Yes, exactly. Yes, exactly. And then when you have police officers
2: in the schools that are easily and readily available to a scared white female teacher that is afraid, the implicit bias of the fear right? That it, it creates a very dangerous situation for that child, for that child, because I teach children. Mm
3: -hmm. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I teach children. I teach seniors in high school. They are children. Yeah. They Mm -hmm. are children. They are children. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And anyway, like, yes, like, and the, the presence of police officers only makes the situation, in my opinion, more dangerous Yeah, Mm -hmm. because the, the Reddit, like they're so easily available Mm -hmm. that in the heat of the moment, Mm-hmm. overreaction
0: mm-hmm. right and i and you know and the, the thing about it is is that i saw is that an overreact uh, if, a, if a child is overreacting right and we're talking about parenting right so you know they teach this if your child is overreacting and you're overreacting where is the the common ground where is where's the cool head where's the level head right mm-hmm. yeah. so it's the same thing in the classroom who's yeah. stepping back mm-hmm. yeah should be the adult, but if you can't it get a handle be. on your own issues,
1: <laughs> right, right? Exactly. Never about, you've never faced them. You've lived in a little cocoon your whole life uh-huh. and not realizing all those things that have taught you that message of that. Yes. Yeah.
2: Well, it's like, it's like the adultification of black boys, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's that like we expect black boys to behave as adults right? Like we right. expect them to have the like literal brains, right? We know that like prefrontal mm-hmm. cortexes are not fully mm-hmm. formed in these kids. Like, right. Right. And, but we expect disproportionately black boys to conduct themselves mm-hmm. with the skills and behaviors and attitudes of adults. Mm-hmm. Right. And not only adults, but adults that are assimilated to what we expect white culture, white, right. White, whiteness to uh-huh. be right? Yeah. right. And, and so when that, Inevitably doesn't happen because that's not reasonable right? <laughs> and that's not science driven and data driven, right. right. And child mm-hmm. development driven it. Mm-hmm. That is why you see black and brown sh- students being disproportionately punished in our school system
3: mm-hmm. is
2: because the yeah. expectation of behavior is not equal, right? There is right. not an equal expectation of behavior between yeah. black and brown students and white students in the school yeah. system. And really really, it's black boys that are disproportionately punished. And so I just, all of that comes together, right? And so then, right, like, I think back to like, okay, so yeah, it makes sense why people of color are not choosing to become teachers. Mm Because why would you want to step back into that space?
0: Right. (laughs) You know, uh, I even had an issue last year uh, with one of my um, daughter's teachers. And the problem was, is that my child wasn't working fast enough. So, so the, audience, the said, listeners can't see
1: our faces, but we are <laughs> just like a form of a side eye mixed yeah.
0: with a... Huh? Yeah, so she wasn't working fast enough. So, um, so eventually my daughter, when she gets frustrated, she shuts down, right? Sure. So she um, puts her headphones on She puts her hoodie up over her head and she puts her head down on the desk. Now she's checked out. So instead of the teacher saying, okay, clearly you have shut down. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: I'm going to give you a moment. She's badgering, 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 badgering. So I get a phone call and the call was, your daughter's not doing what she's supposed to be doing in class. And um, I need you as the parent to tell her that she needs to be doing what she needs to be doing in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Okay, so apparently you don't know who you called
3: mm-hmm. because I have <laughs>
0: question, right? Yeah. So that, and you're the teacher not doing it in the classroom that I right? should be doing. Before I said, well, me. here's the thing. I said, number one, oh, and the and the comment was is that it was it was disrespectful. So my question was, what happened? Describe to me the situation. And so, and I always ask this, you, you don't call my house if and tell me a one-sided story because I live yeah. with my child every day yeah, and I know what she will and what she won't do. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and I don't, I won't say what she will and won't do. I know her behaviors. Right. And I know. Because um, you know, children surprise you too. Let's not say what they will <laughs> and won't. Because sometimes nobody ever thinks their child would murder someone, right? But it happened. Fair enough.
1: Fair enough. So, yeah.
0: um, but as far as attitudes go, I know her attitude. Yeah. And so she said, "Well, she put her headphones on and she shut down." I said, "Uh," I said, "What happened?" Well, she wasn't working fast enough, and I told them that they could listen to music. But instead of listening to music, she turned on a movie while she was working. Well, she can't have movies on. I said, well, wait a minute. The policy is that children are not supposed to have their cell phones out, period. They're not supposed to have their headphones on, period. And because you cannot control what they are watching and what they're listening Mm to and how focused they are in the classroom. So therefore, the policy states that she shouldn't even have her cell phone out. But you as the teacher allowed this. Right. But you want me to punish her because now you have allowed her to do something that she's not supposed to be doing that. I've told her that she's not supposed to be doing. And then because you couldn't get your way out of it. Now you want me to punish her. No. Let's Mm -hmm. talk about what you allowed to happen Mm -hmm. and how Mm -hmm. we can fix that so that we don't have this problem in the future. And then let's talk about your de-escalation skills. Mm -hmm. Did you invite oh, her to your training?
1: I, know you I was her to saying, training because I feel don't like her, she oh, needs no a fire for Tanisha give who you. gives trainings on yeah. all of this <laughs> stuff.
2: <laughs> and then give her your business <laughs> you know? card and say, if you would like to hire me for my services, by all means, give me a call. Right? You and your
0: friends to right. your house. We'll do a special session. Yes. So we sat. So I went. So we end up sitting with the principal because okay. you know you're the the reality is is that again. Your attitude displayed that you are better than my child and not my child's teacher and her mm-hmm. educator. And your attitude says that she has to roll over yes. and do what you say, even though you allowed her to do something that is against the rules and against the policy. And because you lost control, mm-hmm. now you want to punish her. You can't do that. Yeah. That's a, that's a double message.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think that it's also, it's this question of like, why, first of all, did that teacher know your child, right? Did they have a real relationship? One, oh, no. which it does not sound like <laughs> they did. And then two, if they did have a relationship, why, what was the intention behind the teacher's building of that relationship? Was the intention to, so that the teacher can control your child,
3: mm-hmm. right? Or was
2: it just to get to know them, right? Like in mm-hmm. the classroom as a teacher, are you building relationships with your students because you care about them or are you building relationships with your students so you can control them and it's two very right. different things and those relationships mm-hmm. look very very different especially in moments mm-hmm. where teenagers are inevitably <laughs> going mm-hmm. right, right? Yeah. like react they they just are it's not mm-hmm. that that won't happen it's that your reaction to it will be different if you know that kid and if you taken and, the time to build the relationship with them
0: and if you think about this though See, my child shuts down. Every child doesn't. Mm-hmm. So yeah. then, now that you've kept poking and you kept antagonizing, right, instead of being the adult in the situation, stepping back and saying, okay, you know what? Your head is down. You have your hoodie on. You're working. You're, you're quiet. You're not disrupting the class. You're not stopping other students from learning. Let me step back. Give you a moment, because clearly you need one, Right. right? and come back to you and lay at a later time, and let's talk about what happened, you know? And yeah. a lot of times, teachers do not allow that space. Yeah. And with Black children, we're, I teach my child as a culture, right? We teach our children, you don't go to school talking back. If you have a problem, you come home and we talk about it, and then I will handle whatever you feel is a problem, right? Mm-hmm. And if I feel that you're right, I'm going to tell you you're right. And if you're wrong, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, and there's been times where I've met with teachers and I found out what my child told me was not the full, <laughs> the whole story. And so now I'm looking at my child like, uh-huh, okay. So, you know, yeah we have those moments too now. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, but I think that there's a culture, a cultural thing, right? And so what what you'll find is that uh, most children are taught you don't talk back. You just, you know, you just be quiet, do what you need to do, mm-hmm. sit down. And, you know, yeah. and a lot of people take that as re- disrespect. I had even when my daughter was at Harrison, a teacher called me because he was screaming in her face, literally. And because she uh, was frustrated, she wasn't getting what he was saying. And so what she did was is she put her headphones in, hoodie on her head. And she shut down. Well, he said that was disrespectful because she put her headphones in while I was talking. But you were also screaming in her face. Mm-hmm. So if she would have felt threatened because yeah. everybody has yeah. the natural fight or flight, right? Yeah. So if she would have felt threatened and pushed you back away from her, then it would have been assault. Then but I'm you scared. as a grown man yeah. were hollering in her face yeah.
2: mm-hmm.
0: because you lost control. hmm
2: mm-hmm. And I think that that is something that so many teachers need to do so a lot of self-reflection and I and I know like as a young teacher you're trying to figure out how to have a classroom that you envision in your mind, right? Like how do you have a classroom that is productive and like everybody's learning and all of this, right? And your ego plays such a large part of it. Mm -hmm. And like your ego can't play a large part of your relationship with your students. And I have to remind myself of that. And like, right, like I have to say, okay, so I haven't been perfect every single Mm -hmm. day in a classroom full of students, right? Mm -hmm. But the difference is, is like I'm constantly trying to be better and I'm constantly trying to check my ego at the door and I think that a lot of teachers don't and they yeah. equate they equate just blind compliance with respect and it's not the same
1: thing right yeah. yep yep. Yeah, I, uh, I think a lot about my evergreen upbringing with master's teaching. And that was a huge part of it, right? Reflecting, thinking about systemic issues and just the, the ongoing point I think we're all landing on is it's, it's a growth process, right? You're continuing to grow. You need to put yourself in places where you're going to be challenged to grow in, the, in, those, in those pieces, right? The deconstructing of your prior knowledge. What did you say? Dismantle, the dismantling of white supremacy. I, right. I love that word dismantling. Um, in this case, I mean, that's in some regards kind of the bottom line. Um, I was wondering if we could talk really fast about, we have a couple of fun segments towards the end. I mean, we could talk to you forever, Um, but we won't won't do that to you. Um, We have one segment called Champagne and Real Pain.
0: Champagne for my real friends, real pain for my champ friends.
1: And in this, we just want to give some shout outs to um, some people that you think are doing good work. So maybe some good equity work or some, we've talked about a lot of different issues um, and, and kind of relevant topics. Is there anyone or any organization or, um, yeah, a service that you want to give a, kind of a shout out or raise a champagne glass?
0: Um, I would like to say I'd give a shout out to Ron Banner. Um, and the reason being is because he stepped into a role with our um, district that was not really receptive to change. Mm -hmm. And so he's taking on a lot. He really has. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: And um, at first, and I, I, I have to tell you, I gave him hell (laughs) because you know, yeah, I wanted, I want change and I want it now. Right. Mm -hmm. And so he'd say, Ms. Lyons, we're working on it. I'm telling him, no. (laughs) Now. Not fast enough. (laughs) Yeah. Not fast enough. Speaking of fast enough. enough. (laughs) Yeah. So he's working on it. So um, Melanie Morgan is doing some great work in the community. Um, Marcus Young is doing some great work in the community. Um, Larry Sequist, he's actually running for Pierce County um, Council Manager. And when I tell you he gets it, he gets it. Mm -hmm. And not only does he get it, he has a plan. So, I mean, it's one thing to get it, but it's another thing to get it and have a plan.
3: Mm So true. Um,
0: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. Twine and Nobles. Girl is doing her thing. And, Mm -hmm. you know, people don't come for you unless they're scared. And so... Mm-hmm. You know, the, the attacks that she's had to deal with, which mm-hmm. any other candidate with they had white skin would not have to go through. Yep. it's yep. pretty yep. amazing and it can be traumatizing and she's handling it with handling it with grace. Yeah, and yeah, so you know, amazing. she's doing her thing. Um, yeah, there's just so many people. Um, oh my goodness. Um, Karen Dollywall mm-hmm. is amazing. Ben Feldbush, you know, he's an up and coming. And he's he's um, in the MPA program at Evergreen Tacoma too. And he gets it. He's doing his thing. And he's really, really working to make a lot of change in our community. Um, oh, gosh, there's so many people. When you start naming people, you start forgetting people. Oh, my <laughs> pastor. Pastor yeah. C. Ivan John- Johnson at Greater <laughs> Destiny Church <laughs> awesome. Awesome. <laughs> in yeah. Tacoma, he is <laughs> out there, but he's out there doing the work. Yeah. And, you know, and a lot of times, you know, when you mention pastors, people kind of want to push them aside. But I don't see any pastors in Tacoma really doing the work like he's doing the work. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, um, you, I mean, you got to acknowledge that. Yeah, true. And so, um, yeah, that's, yeah. I love it. I yeah. the but list is <laughs>
1: long. That's good. Oh, exactly. sometimes, sometimes we have way more like uh, pain, like giving out than like, yeah. uh-huh. champagne. So, do you, you had one more? Was there one more you were? I'm um, Grant
0: Twyman, also the racial equity officer. He's yeah. he's trying. <laughs> <laughs> he's really trying. It. Trying.
1: Yeah. uh Megan, you had one you want to throw out there?
2: Oh, I mean, it's a little off topic of what we talked about, but uh, B Lumpkin, she is a 102-year-old woman who, like, essentially wore a hazmat suit to go vote, Uh, (sighs) right? Like, I just (laughs) shout out to her to, like, fighting to make sure that she can have her voice heard. Um, It was something like when she was born, like, women didn't have the right to vote when she was born. And so that, um, the importance... Of that I just want to give a raise a glass to her that 102 year old woman I don't know if you've seen the picture
1: but it is wild (laughs) all the people just waiting in line to vote I mean all the people Uh, really pressing to double check and follow up I mean there's just so much work right now with that um yeah raise glasses
2: and so Tanisha what you said about Tawina Nobles is like if you weren't if they weren't scared they wouldn't come for you I say the same thing about Mm. voting right like if your vote matters wouldn't be coming for it right exactly didn't matter they wouldn't be trying so hard to block it uh Mm. and so when you said that i was like yeah that's how right if if you your right to vote is being made more difficult it's because you're they are scared of Mm -hmm. your power Mm -hmm. Exactly. (laughs) exactly uh megan final segment. Um, do your fudging homework.
1: Interchangeable. White
2: right, ladies. So this so. segment is, <laughs> is we always want to leave our listeners with maybe some follow-up resources or things that they can do leaving the episode if they are interested in um,
1: continuing the work around the conversation we just had. Mm-hmm. And I would like to um, use my homework giving <laughs> to say, hey, go and check out um, Tanisha's work. And so, Tanisha, will mm. you share how people can get a hold of you? Um, what is the best way to reach out to
0: you to hire you for your consultancy work, etc.? cetera? Uh, Tanisha Cares, LLC, that's T A N I E S H um, A C A R E S, at gmail.com. Okay. And, um, you can also reach me at Tanisha Lyons community advocate on, um, Facebook, and I will have a website up and running soon, but the best place to reach me is Tanisha cares at gmail.com.
2: And we will have that email in our show notes Mm -hmm. for our listeners. So if you, um, are interested in hiring her, paying her for her services, um, you can look in our show notes for that contact information.
1: Well, we want to thank you so much for coming on the show and giving us an hour and plus of your morning. Mm-hmm. So, again, thank you so much. I really hope to be, continue in contact and continue in this work together. Definitely. Yes. Thank you for having me. Bye. 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 Thanks, Anisha. Have a good day. Bye. Bye. Channel 253 is a member-supported podcast network. I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I'm asking you to become a member and show your support. Go to channel253.com/membership to join. Thank you. Do you have a glass of wine, Hope?
2: I know I don't last today. Episode, <laughs> last episode, like, last <laughs> episode, I that glass of wine. Yeah,
1: Megan, do you? Do you have? Anything? No, it's because I've been grading. I have my coffee.
2: coffee I'm just,
1: okay. Be disciplined. The Interchangeable White Ladies podcast is part of the Channel Two Five Three Network. Check out our other shows, Nerd Farmer. Citizen Tacoma, Crossing Division, Flounders B Team, We Art Tacoma, and What Say You? This is Channel
2: 253.